0: Cracking the code on how you can drive business results and customer connection, equipping you to acquire, engage, and retain customers, inspiring lasting loyalty across mobile, web, apps, and more. Welcome to Mobile Presence, hosted by analyst, author, and top 30 mobile marketing influencer, Peggy and Saul.
1: Hey, hello, and welcome to Mobile Presence. This is episode 386, and I'm your host, as always, Peggy Ann Saltz with Mobile Groove, and this is your destination for what you need to move the needle on your marketing, on your app marketing, whatever marketing. And we do a special mini-series every two weeks where we get the inside track on all of the above because we talk with the marketing experts. It's their daily job and they're amazing at it as well because they have earned themselves success earning the title of mobile hero as chosen by Liftoff, a full service mobile app marketing and retargeting platform. So today on the show, it's all about gameplay and player psychology, you know, answering those tough questions. What motivates players into picking up a game and continuing to play it over and over again? How can gaming apps companies develop amazing gameplay that will appear to our innate desires, you know, making us want to play the game? And more importantly, how can you fill the funnel? with the right player types from the get-go. As I said, tough questions, and we'll get some straight answers from a mobile hero who describes herself as a gamer turned psychologist. She's a frequent speaker on this and other topics and educates the industry as part of the UA Society, where she's a member. She has held a number of positions in the industry, most recently Chief Mobile Officer at Gazus Games in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. She's not in Brazil today, she's with us. She loves sharing knowledge, that's why she's here, and we're ready to have her, so bring it on. Paula Neves, Product Manager at Square Enix. It's great to have you today on Mobile Presence.
2: Hi Peggy, Uh, thanks for having me. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited to be here, you know, representing Square Enix Montreal as a product manager. It's a different shift from what I did at Gazelles Games, but it um, all combines pretty pretty ni- n- nicely, you know, pretty neatly.
1: I think so too because I've known you for a while. I mean, off the record, I know most of our guests because I've been there, done that, and and so have you. I've been watching you quite an adventure first of all because you were you are definitely not in brazil right now you're in canada montreal um you're not at kazoo's games you're square enix why don't you tell me a little bit about that adventure
2: yeah well today particularly it feels a little like rio because it's warm here in in montreal (laughs) we're gonna reach i think 40 degrees so i feel you know like i'm home (laughs) but yeah Mm -hmm. um it's been it's been quite an adventure i had a a really, you know, good run at Gazelles for five years, was re- really happy there. And then uh, Square Enix reached out to me and and like you really, you know, introduced me really well. I've, I was always a gamer and, you know, have Square Enix come and talk to you. I was like, okay, I have to listen. Um, and yeah, I moved seven months ago to Montreal, survived my f- first winter with flying colors, learned how to ice skate. So it all looks good. <laughs>
1: And that's what I love about, you know, you have a passion for what you do, and you've done that in your job, because um, you have a background in psychology, and it's intertwined. You know, your career in games, gameplay, psychology, they're intertwined. Just wondering where that that passion started, because to tell you the truth, uh, Paula, you know, it's not uh an, the the mainstream that you have people in app marketing and app development that really have a background in psychology so it's a great combination where did it all start yeah so um
2: it was a meandering um you know background but in the end it, it made sense i didn't even know it would make so much sense um but you know i i studied in a british school back home in rio and they always instilled this you know drive for knowledge in us and we always read a lot and i always loved to study and read and everything like that um and i was supposed to go to college abroad um but you know we had a certain, sudden shift in brazilian politics at the time and i couldn't go um to to the colleges i i was accepted in so i ended up staying in rio i didn't really know what to do because i i was always you know prepared to to go out and do other stuff to go out of the country um and then i was like okay psychology seems like a good thing you know i love
1: all the human sciences. I love biology. I love everything. Um, but, it, but it has really played off if you think about games because that's where it all comes together, right? I mean, it's not just games. It's our behavior. It's a, it's a pastime totally mapped to that.
2: You know, once you understand people better, you, you can do marketing better. And then I've always wanted to find a job in gaming. So when that happened about seven to eight years ago, um, and then I moved on to free-to-play, it's like, wow, okay, this all made so much sense. I never thought my psychology degree would be so useful, um, you know, on my day-to-day
1: basis. So you're in early days in this, and this is what I love. This is really like an adventure, because it's enough to talk about um, player types, and we will in a moment, it's, it's, it's been discussed, there's a huge body of research on it, but applying it to UA, now that's something different that you're sort of a pioneer. I mean, how far along are you on this journey of applying the concepts to the campaigns?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we're we're starting to do a lot of groundwork on that. Um, Of course, I was lucky enough to have people do the groundwork on the psychology frameworks before me. Um, But now what I'm trying to do is just okay, we have this result out of all um, the, you know, we're going to talk more about it, but all mm-hmm. the taste maps, everything that we that we um, gather from the user, you know, how can we maybe transform this into personas, but concrete personas that are data-driven, that we can go into our analytics, look them up, see if they're behaving like we would expect that persona to behave, to then... You know, with those groups, we can do more targeted marketing and UA from from the get-go, you know, to test. And and sometimes we do it only to test if, you know, validate or not the personas, choose creatives that would appeal to different personas and see if they react as expected, because, again, it all goes down back to data, right? Um, And we can also use it to, once it's validated, uh, the personas are validated or, you know, uh, changed or tweaked. Uh, we have a, like a clearer path to do UA uh, knowing more precisely, you know, what sort of users we, we want to tackle and we want to uh, bring to the game.
1: So this is how you would apply it and how you're going to be telling us you, you have applied it already. Just um, in, a, in a nutshell, would you say that uh, this is something that also is a must for other marketers at this point because it's sort of like, in a way, the next step in engagement. You know, we did acquisition. This is very much about acquisition slash engagement is what I'm hearing. So this is not getting users. It's about getting them to play, correct?
2: Yeah, um, it's about both, actually. Um, And I do believe it's like the new frontier, just like you said. You know, we, as free-to-play marketers, we have all this data. We're super data-driven as it is. Um, And I believe we're reaching a point where that is exhausting like getting to a saturation point where it's like exhausting itself um and you know data tells us what but it doesn't tell us why right Mm -hmm. um and this comes in to to fill that gap and i remember like one year ago i was asked on an interview if i thought people would think more and more about psychology and gaming at that time it was about um uh, uh, behavioral economics we were discussing that and I, I said that I thought so, that, that it would be the next frontier. It's just a logical next step. And we have all now all these um, services that are starting to come up, right? Uh, 12 Trades and uh, Game Refinery just launched their archetypes as well. So more and more, we're seeing, you know, the, the vendors bringing this as, as a solution, which makes me quite happy. It means people are thinking about this.
1: Absolutely, vendors are thinking about it. As you said, the data is there, you know, before we had the concepts, They need to be data-driven, maybe couldn't be, and that's something that's changed. Um, And uh, right now, a next step for me is we have to go to break, Paula, but don't go away because we'll be right back with some amazing insights into how you can connect the dots in your player behavior to drive engagement and drive loyalty. So don't go away, we'll be right back
0: mobile presence sponsored by CleverTap, a leading engagement and retention platform will be back after this message here's the truth you need to know about podcasting the biggest problem you face right now as a future podcaster is the myth that it takes an enormous amount of time or effort to produce a high quality professional podcast luckily for you there's a solution to your problem Welcome back to Mobile Presence on WMR.FM. Here's your host, Peggy Ansault.
1: And we're back to Mobile Presence. I'm Peggy Ansault. It's our guest today, Paula Neves. She is product manager at Square Enix. And Paula, before the break, we were just talking about how to put together what we observe about behavior and make that part of of the concept part of the campaign, but there's a lot more to it. And there's a lot of research that probably everyone's going to have to go out and read as background to this, but just at a high level, you know, starting with the idea that particular games fulfill basic psychological needs, right? And that that results in engaged players. That's a great loop, but it starts with the view that there are different types of players. So let's start there. What types of players are there?
2: Um, yeah, so that concept is is not new, right? I mean, mm. we had the Bartle types are, are really well known. Um, you know, he, um, a long time ago, defined four types of players. So like achievers, explorers, socializers, and killers. And Bartle, mm. he, he had this mud game um, at the time. So I think it was the 80s, actually. And he defined these player types um you know using his mud game which is super nice but it's also limited because he he just had you know this uh, rpg uh, uh, mindset for the players right? right um of course that there are different types of players and actually different things that motivates them right so um there are all these different archetypes that we can tackle or not but i think the the interesting part of self determination theory um is that you know, like you said, you have these innate uh, uh, psychological needs. So the, the self-determination theory says these three universal needs need to be fulfilled in order for us as humans to be intrinsically motivated. Um, so independent of your of your type, if you're like more, you know, a king of the hill type of player or you're more motivated by, you know, uh, social mechanics because you're very, you're a big extrovert or, or something like that. Um, you know, as long as you're fulfilling, your game is fulfilling these three needs, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a a good path to indicate that your game will, the the game, the players will stick to your game. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and these three needs basically are competence, autonomy, and relatedness. Um, so, you know, and this, it's not only applicable to games in life, we, In general, we yeah. should fulfill these three, right, in our social life, in our, in our work, um, to, be, to be intrinsically motivated and happy. So competence is just us feeling mastery, right? We need to feel successful, masterful, effective, as if we're growing and learning. Um, autonomy is just described, you know, by, by feeling you have some control of your choices and that you're in harmony with them, that you're free to do what you want um so that you have agency basically and Mm -hmm. relatedness is just being connected to others feeling that people care for you and you care for them and that you belong that you matter um so you know these three needs if if they're fulfilled of course that i don't think they'll ever be completely fulfilled in anyone um which is good because we keep going to try and fulfill them. Yeah, that keeps us
1: going in life. Absolutely. Just just to break in here as a layman. So what I'm hearing is, you know, competency, that's me wanting to master the game, right? Uh, Autonomy, I want to be in control of the game. I want to be calling the shots. Uh, The connectedness, relatedness, that's the social thing. I want to go up on the leaderboard. I want to, you know, maybe have some in-game chat. I mean, it all really fits together so well in the construct of a game. Exactly. Um, and and you know game games today are are a form of,
2: of just um, you know mimicking some of the things I mean, some of the games today they are so complex that they mimic life, right right <laughs> And this uh, but this the the good thing about this is that it it pans back to a lot of areas in game development. So it seems all very um, in you know intangible, but then, this backs out pretty nicely to UX, you know, to mm-hmm. UI, to VFX and other th- and design of of course, design of the game. Okay, but.
1: so so this is the basis that's very clear. That's the foundation and it helps design the game. Now if we just take it a bit forward and um, look at okay, now that I understand this, how can I actually, Be aligning campaigns with this or aligning some targets and that's all about some other research that you've looked at And you also mentioned and I'll be telling our listeners about that in a moment tower of want right design and marketing um, According to the fact that we want things so give me an idea again of how these two play together because that's going to allow me to take the concept into practice
2: Yeah, sure so um... The self-determination theory, as applied to games, I, I was pretty lucky to, to um, you know, pick up from where the, the guys at Immersive um, started. So they did a lot of groundwork on this. And the Tower of Wand, um was sparked uh, as something by Ethan Levy, and it sparked in me this thing because it, it was it reminded me so much, you know, of the of the hierarchy of Maslow, which. Mm-hmm probably a lot of people studied in school, uh, yeah, which I think is the,
1: we the hierarchy of needs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The
2: pyramid. So, yeah. um, so the self, the way, the way we try and apply it, you know, the self-determination theory, um, you have to fulfill those. And even when you're talking about your marketing creatives, um, you really need to, to, uh, give the player the illusion of choice, you know, the illusion sometimes of, of agency, because a lot of times the, you know, the, the code defines it, right? You're uh, drawing a card. You have a card game. You're drawing a card. Um, sometimes the odds are, are already decided or the outcome is decided in the code, but the player needs to feel agency, mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm picking, even though he's really not picking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the Tower of Want just is, is a concept that's really interesting, and it just keeps us, you know, keeps us going so it it goes more into the um into the long term of just building that game and designing that game right so mm-hmm. when when you're thinking about the game design you players they always need to be wanting something um, we're just with like us in life i mean if we run out of things to want <laughs> we we don't you know we we have no purpose in moving forward so when you're designing that you the game you really have to to think of that you know okay so he's doing this to do that and then to do that and then to do that and you have to keep adding uh layers to your tower right so that the player doesn't run out of things to want um huh. and that is something that you can use in 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 marketing in a way that if you're doing, for instance, retargeting campaigns, you you will know like, at what level that player is at in terms of his evolution in the, in the tower, if you, wanna, if you wanna say so, and re-engage him to go to a next level, to go to a next uh, a, a
1: stage in the tower, right? Yeah, I get it. And it's also about doing that in such a way that you're encouraging me, right? So there are steps that are, aren't too easy, aren't too hard because if they're too easy, I'm gonna say, "Oh, this is no fun. I can do this, my eyes closed. Uh, too hard, is like, no, this game is way beyond me. Get me out of here. Um, you've been tinkering, you've been playing with this yourself. I think you've been designing a game like this or is it in beta? I'm not quite sure the details, but let me in on what you've been actually putting into practice because that's exciting. If theory is interesting. Practice is much more interesting.
2: Yeah, so um, like I said, um, I think, the Tower of Want, we use it in a way to transcribe the player journey inside the game. Whereas the self-determination theory, is, it's more how to keep him satisfied and intrinsically motivated and engaged in the long run, right? Mm-hmm. So it trickles down. Um, the self-determination theory trickles down to even small things. So you said it yourself, um, it can't be too difficult or it can't be too easy, right? So you've just defined the, uh, you know, you've just talked about flow by the, mm-hmm. the Polish psychologist, Michal uh, Mihail I mm-hmm. don't have no idea if I'm saying that right, ever when I say it, <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. he, he defined this concept of flow, um, which just tells it's, he says it's this um, moment of total immersion that we have as players and as people where, you know, things are not, just like you said, difficult enough that we get frustrated, but it's not easy enough that we get um, bored, you know? So
1: mm-hmm.
2: we're talking about a difficulty curve in a game here and balancing out that difficulty curve. Um, so that's like one way, just one little way that at competence goes into designing the game, how well you do the balancing of your levels and the balancing of your, of your difficulty curve. Um, also, like a good example is of competence is like everything for the player um, usually needs to be over the top. And, and with the game we're designing now, we are always thinking about that. Okay, if he does something that's good, a good outcome, no matter if it's a small thing, we are going to bump the, up those VFXs so that he, you know, feels super good, super successful. Um, so that's giving him a sense of, of competence as well. When we go to agency, for instance, um, always in design meetings, and then even in this in this uh, part, it's even more UX and UI. Um, we talk about things like, okay, so at this point, should we make it a contextual action? Should we get the player to press a button to do something, or does it happen automatically? And you know, in in a lot of situations, I argue, okay, let's you know. Make them press a button or something because then he feels the outcome of whatever he's doing is he because it. of him. Yeah, he it. caused it. So there's
1: a lot of decisions here, and you're talking about difficulty, Paula. It's difficult for me to go to break right now. We do have to go to break, but this is so interesting. And mm. uh, listeners, don't go away because we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about this blueprint and we're going to talk about some best practice for you as well. So don't go away. We'll be right back. <sighs>
0: Mobile Presence, sponsored by CleverTap, a leading engagement and retention platform, will be back after this message. Welcome back to Mobile Presence on WMR.FM. Here's your host, Peggy Ann Salls.
1: And we're back to Mobile Presence. We have Paula Neves, product manager, Square Enix. And Paula, it's been a delight, really. I mean, it has been challenging. I won't lie. This is a very, very intense topic. It's a lot to digest. And thankfully, you have a three-part blog on this topic. I'll tell everyone about that later where they can read it. But in the meantime... If we understand the concepts, the question for me is, what do we actually do? How can we make a game based on these concepts? And maybe a, just some advice on the on the first steps. I mean, do I need a a small team? Do I start with one game? Do I do I need a control group, like a bad game and a good game, to see if my theories work out? I mean, how do I really put this into practice? And and you're doing this as well in a game, so maybe you can share something there as well.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Uh, In terms of, like, just tangibilizing this, the first step and um, now focusing on the self-determination theory, the first thing I ever do when I'm in a, in this case, when I started at Square Enix and, you know, I have a new team. It was a big team already building this game. um, It's sit down with with the people involved, you know, the key stakeholders for this and go through the self-determination theory, giving them examples of how it translates into things you can do in a game whichever game and more specifically if if we already have a game going i can also give a a few pointers on that because the important thing here is that every everyone involved you know in creating that game the key stakeholders always are asking themselves okay competence you know how how can i put that in the game relatedness autonomy how you know for each feature how can that be put in the game Mm -hmm. and I often get asked, oh, but then if I'm designing this really small thing, does it have to fulfill the three things? Um, And what I always tell people is like, when you're building your epics in your JIRA and whichever tool you you use, your Trello or or whatever, um, you have your epics, right? Your really big features. Those really big features, they have to address the three. Um, And they will address it differently. Some features will address two and just touch on the third, you know, while it's different depending on 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 the tool set for that specific feature. But it's important to, in an epic feature, just ask yourselves, okay, does the player, does this make them feel masterful? Autonomy, does it give it to them? And relatedness, do they feel uh, uh, connected through this feature in a way? And then in the end, when you have all those feature blocks, um, they intertwine intertwined together. They would give you um, a balance of the three um, uh, innate needs, while fulfilling the three innate needs. And depending on the game you're building, it will fulfill more of a need than another one. So if you're building a, like a game that's very, um, you know, where you have to like um, a Twitch based game, like a lot of the hyper casual games where, you know, you have a ball and you have to move fast and the ball has to fall and you have to do that. That is more a game that fulfills the mastery need, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. touch so much upon relatedness. Um, But ideally, if you want your players to engage and stay for a long, long time playing for years, which is what we want in our game, we would, our game would need to translate these three needs. So that's sort of, the, of the, the way of applying it. And then I'm that annoying person in the corner of every, <laughs> every meeting saying, okay, guys, but how can we give them more agency? How can we, you know, so yeah. it's, it's evangelizing uh, the people involved. And it's been working pretty well. And now I have designers coming to me and saying, see what I did here? It's giving them more, you know, autonomy. It's giving them more ma- uh, mastery. So it's, it's pretty cool <laughs> to see it coming back.
1: But it's great because it gives you a checklist to design to and ultimately, you know, it's the same thing um, in marketing as well. And, um, you know, it's just so much so interesting. I'm almost heartbroken, Paula, to say that we need to wrap it up. But fortunately, you do have a three-part blog series that you've written about this. So you take us through the steps, you know. Through the, through the models, everything really well done, I have to say. And very succinct people said, so don't go into fear. You know, just just brew up a coffee, get a Java, you know, and read it. It's, it's not a quick read, but it's a good read. Um, and we have that over at heroes.liftoff.io. So that's where we're going to read about the stuff you have, Paula. But how do we stay in touch with you? Yeah, so um, there's my Twitter account, uh, yeah. Paula D. Neves
2: um and also my linkedin people can go and add me there i'm very um i check it all the time (laughs) we're there um and yeah i mean i'm i'm around doing some talks and writing some posts and some articles so um feel free to to send me a message on linkedin and with questions and i'll I'll be happy to help like you said um i love sharing and i love learning so
1: you you do indeed i think i've known you now for three years it could be, and you have been evolving this over that time. It's been a joy to watch you and your career evolve, Paula. Um, love to have you back again. But in the meantime, as we said, you know, connect with her on Twitter, uh, on LinkedIn. They're both of these details going to be in the show notes. And of course, again, dedicated page, heroes.liftoff. And if you want to keep up with me throughout the week, find out more about how you can be a guest or sponsor on Mobile Presence, you can email me. That's Peggy at Mobile Groove. Mobilegroove.com is where you can find my portfolio of content marketing and app marketing services. So until next time, remember, every minute is mobile, so make every minute count. Keep well, stay safe, and we'll see you soon.